0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, com, JM in the AM.org, and welcome to another Thursday night. We are proud to be sponsored by Beckerman Communications, Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman Public Affairs, Building Market Leadership and Reputation through Strategic Communications. Tell your story with Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com, and we are Once again, in for a great show. Uh, I apologize for the snow day last week. Uh, Just one of those things just uh, happens uh, quite often this winter, shockingly enough. And uh, I think the new mayor and the new administration is certainly getting tested this very, very quickly in that first hundred days. Hopefully the honeymoon is not over yet. But uh, we are going to devote a significant amount of time of this show to what's known as the Power 100, which if you don't know out there, and it's a little New York centric, so I apologize to those of you out there, but I think you'll find it interesting. The Power 100 is compiled every year by city and state newspaper, which covers pretty much exclusively New York City Hall, as well as Albany, that means the state of New York and the city of New York. And we have, we're privileged to have on the line with us, the City New York City Bureau Chief uh, for City and State, Nick Powell. Nick, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Thanks for having me. So let's just talk generally. You do a Power 100, and you, obviously you're doing a list. It's maybe a little bit like that U.S. News College survey and rankings, and it's dubbed the most powerful people in New York City politics. So talk to us a little bit about who is interested in the Power 100.
1: Well, look. I mean, we serve a very kind of insider audience. That's that's where we've really established our niche over the last uh, you know couple of years or so. Um, so, I mean, this is you know for for our readership who is really you know some of whom are really embedded in in New York City and New York State government, some of whom just are more kind of peripheral players like labor unions and. Uh, you know, lobbying firms and businesses and stuff like that, I mean, they really, you know, this is something to kind of really just take the pulse of the the political power dynamics, um, you know, in the moment. So, and we try to be as, you know, have as much foresight as possible with, you know, predicting who might be powerful, you know, over the next year or the next four years. So, you know, that kind of goes into where we, you know, fell on our rankings as well.
0: So take us for a second through the process of the Power 100. When, when do you start putting it together? It doesn't happen, I assume, within two or three days. You're clearly putting some vetting behind these, some kind of like a college admissions type of vetting, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely. No, I mean, it's this was definitely a multi-week process. Uh, we actually, I think a month before this went to print, uh, got together and started formulating the list. So, Really, it was, uh, I mean, the list itself was put together by myself and uh, Morgan Peck, the editor-in-chief, and some of the, some other uh, city and state staff as well. And then we kind of, once we came up with a rough 100 uh, people, you know, with no, no ranking necessarily at that point, we kind of, we, we floated it by, you know, various consultants and, and members of the media and PMP, some people in government. You know, just to make sure that we were we weren't missing anybody, we were including the right people. You know, I mean, this was especially with this year's list because of it was, because we have a new city government. You know, we really wanted to reflect that kind of seismic shift from the Bloomberg era to the you know to the Blasio administration. So, um, you know, that was uh, obviously a big you know a big consideration in, in, in choosing the people for this list. And uh, yeah, so once we once we got the feedback from our, our various, you know, gurus in, in, the, in the political and in, in media sector, um, we went back and kind of re, you know, reordered our rankings. And, you know, really up until the last night, there was a lot of deliberation. And, you know, I mean, some people that we had very high initially, we dropped significantly. And then obviously, you know, you have to take into consideration the news of the moment and, and whatever, you know. So. Um, you know, Sherlane McRae might have been a little bit higher on our list had we known exactly what her, uh, you know, what her position would entail, which didn't end up being announced until a couple of weeks after the issue came out. But, uh, but ultimately I think we, we had have a, have a pretty accurate list and, and the feedback that we've gotten from the people, from our readership and, and people in, in government has been really overwhelmingly positive. So uh, I, I'd like to say that we, we got it mostly right this time around.
0: So this is not like the Forbes 400, right? Forbes just kind of takes a estimate or a guess or an investigation of their subject's wealth and right. ranks them according to that. What kind of scoring system are you using to to come up with these rankings?
1: Well, that's really that's yeah that that actually is the hardest part. I mean, and not having uh, you know it would I wish it was as straight up as you know. Looking at somebody's salary or something like that and just, and just ordering it that way. That would have made our lives a lot easier. No, but we really had to, I mean, what went into it, a lot of it was, I mean, this is kind of a, an inside joke for the, for those of us who really were involved in putting it together, but we did, a lot of the times we did the phone call test, which was, you know, I mean, we, we knew, we, we pretty much settled on a top five or six. And we, we basically said like, of those top five, you know, in, in deciding the ranking of people, who would, who, when, when, you know, if, if, if Bill Bratton was on the phone, you know, who would, would, would Bill de Blasio pick up that phone call right away? So, like, that's, that goes into, like, where, how high we put those people. Obviously, Bill Bratton's number 13 on the list. He's an incredibly important figure in, uh, in New York City. But then, you know, as it got lower and lower, it, it became less clear, like, you know, I mean, for one thing, it's not even clear if the if the mayor would take some of these calls, uh, you know, especially lower down the list. Um, so, it, I mean, it really, we had to, you know, we wanted to have a broad... The main thing was we wanted to have as broad a swath of people as possible, so people in labor, people in business, people in lobbying. Um, you know, obviously, the, the various power positions in the city government, such as Speaker and, you know, Council Finance Committee chair and things like that. But then we also had to include real estate. So... It was really like, I mean, when you think of New York City politics, you know, there's just so much more to it than just the, you know, the city council and and the mayor's office and things like that. I mean, we really just wanted to, you know, get as get all the players, and some of them are a little more insidery. Some of the names that people, you know, our, our general audience might not recognize, but that's what kind of makes us makes our list special in that way. Is that we, you know, we include the people who, you know, maybe are more shadowy figures. So I mean, it wasn't really like. I wouldn't say there was one set formula, but, you know, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of consideration was based on, like, you know, who dropped off last year's list, you know, should should this person be higher or lower than last year, who's brand new to the list. Um, the rankings really didn't become clear until really kind of the last few days when we were putting it together.
0: So a couple things you said there that I find absolutely fascinating. Let's go back to the phone call test for a second. Sure, so, sure. It, just to understand the test is it the situation what you're saying is the person who's lower or higher in the rankings uh with a lower number would potentially take the phone call of somebody who's higher up on the list or who's i guess uh, right. so like or so or, or vice just, versa like- so let's say you have uh as you said Bill Bratton at number 13 and Sheldon Silver at number 5 Right, Sheldon Silver might not always take Bill Bratton's call, but Bill Bratton will always take Sheldon Silver's call.
1: Correct, or and, you know, vice versa. You know, I mean, Bill de Blasio would all would probably take Shelley Silver's call over Bratton. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe cons- depends on the situation, but you know, if it's if it's if you have a call if you have a call to you and you have Shelly Silver. You know, and then you have Bill Bratton, you're probably going to return Silver's call first, unless it's like something urgent from Bratton. But, but see, that, that's where also, that's where the phone call test became a little bit imperfect, because for some situations, like obviously if it's a public safety issue and it's very pressing, you're obviously going to take Bratton's call before you're going to take anybody's call. But, so that's where it was, it became a little bit more flawed, and we couldn't really just rely on that. Obviously, that wasn't the only thing that we took into consideration, but that was just one of the things when we were, especially that, Really when we were forming the rankings. We already had the list at that point, but it was really just to see like, you know, the pecking order of 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 the power list. So that was really where the phone call test kind of came into play.
0: We're talking to Nick Powell here on Spin Class. He is the City Hall Bureau Chief for City and State, he was out in the Power One Hundred last month, which is a compendium or a guide or a ranking system for New York City power players and a lot of names in that list you may not have heard of, and in fact, I imagine most people haven't heard of. Nick actually just described some of them as shadowy. I don't know that you meant that in a negative way, or uh, <laughs> why don't you explain shadowy for a second?
1: Well, so, I mean, I definitely not in a negative way, but guys that are not necessarily, you know... A household household names. I'm sorry?
0: They're not necessarily a household name.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, I mean, you know, maybe shadowy is the wrong word, but... For instance, like a Dean Fulahan is pretty high on the list. He's number 26, and he's only really a public figure when it comes time to, you know, to release the preliminary budget. And in, in that, you know, that season of city government and the budget season is when he's really, you know, out there. But even so, he's, he's not, you know, it's really the mayor is out front there as well. So, I mean, and then there's people that, you know, a lot of the people like lobbyists, Jennifer Cunningham, not everybody might not. May, might not know that she runs SKD Knickerbocker, which is one of the most powerful uh, lobbying firms in the city. Um, and then you have people even further down the list, like uh, Ken Sunshine, for instance, who has goes way back with Mayor De Blasio and Governor Cuomo. But again, is not somebody that if you're an average, you know, consumer of, and of New York City political news, you might not necessarily know Ken Sunshine from you know Frank Steadio or somebody like that. So. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really, that's, so that's where the insider aspect of our publication comes in. We, you know, we want to introduce people, introduce our readership to people who, you know, might not necessarily be, you know, the, just the public officials, but kind of the behind the scenes guys who really make the, you know, make government work.
0: So to unleash your inner political junkie out there. So you talked about certain people who are not on the list this year, who were Mm -hmm. on it last year. So who are those people? Who are, the, who are the people who are on the bubble?
2: So,
1: there, I mean, obviously we have, I think, 49 new people on this list. So that means roughly you know, roughly half of the people we had last year fell off for, for one reason or another. And, and, I mean, obviously there are the people who are just term limited or, or you know, beaten in, in the recent elections. So we have Christine Quinn, who was, on, who was number three on last year's list, has, has completely fallen off this year. Uh, Joseph Loda, Dominic Recchia, Marty Markowitz, Bill Thompson also fall into that category. Um, then you just have the, you know, obviously the ex-Bloomberg uh, alumni. So Patty Harris, Cass Holloway, Ray Kelly, Howard Wolfson. All, you know, I mean, it's it's fair to say that once they leave city government, their, you know, their power obviously completely, you know, decreases and. You know, I mean, obviously, Michael Bloomberg is going to remain a player no matter, you know, as much as he wants to be. He's, you know, one of the most he's one of the most wealthy New Yorkers in the city, and he's obviously still a, a powerful business mogul in his own right. And if he wants to get involved in, in the political sector, then he obviously has money to flow around in, in races and things of that sort. So he stays on the list. But then we have people who, you know, obviously just because of shifting ties, were, were left off. Um, you know, Ed Cox, for instance, the New York uh, Republican chairman, was off the list this year. He had a really, you know, kind of a bad election season. Loda got creamed, and a lot of the high-profile Republicans, um, you know, he's just, he hasn't had, he hasn't really left his mark in the last year, so to speak. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you take a lot of things into consideration with dropping people off. Obviously, the disgraced politicians such as Vito Lopez and, John Sampson and and you know, William Rapp Fogle they they fell off the list for for obvious reasons so you know I mean that's kind of that's where we we made those those cuts and uh, you know there were a lot of people who were on the bubble but I think mostly there was no I don't think there was any glaring omission there was nobody that we thought like man what, you know looking back on this list man we should have really included them and we tried to kind of do an honorable mention section with. You know, that is the Clintons, because they're kind of in their own tower sphere, uh, and the various celebrities that have started to pop up around some of these city initiatives like Universal Pre-K, such as Cynthia Nixon, Harry Belafonte, Steve Buscemi. Um, and then we tried to include obviously kind of the elder statement, statesmen and stateswomen of the, of New York City, including, uh, Dick Ravitch, Richard Parsons, Gloria Steinem, Iris Weinshaw, David Dinkins, people who, you know, don't, while you know, they don't necessarily wield as much political clout as they used to. They're still respected voices, and when they you know, choose to speak mm-hmm. up in you know in, in the political world,
0: then people usually listen. So, so taking uh, number one hundred, I find to be particularly interesting, uh, <laughs> and that would be the Donald or Donald Trump uh, yeah. for the layman out there. Or I'm not sure actually how people know him, whether it's more as the Donald or as Donald Trump. But let's just—he made it, I guess, to the list just barely. And is it possible to say that the reason he's r- planning to run for governor, or telling people he's going to run for governor, or considering running for governor, because he was only number one hundred on the list?
1: <laughs> that would—I mean, if that was the case, that would certainly lend our, our list even, you know, even more credence than it already has. But no, really, I mean, to be honest. The, the, the section of the selection of the number one hundred person on our list, we kind of wanted to make some somewhat of a symbolic selection there. Um, I forget who we had last year as number one hundred on our list, but it's basically like the you know the NFL draft equivalent of, of Mr. Irrelevant. So, and not to say that Donald Trump is irrelevant, but you know he's kind of this outsized public figure, but. You know, does he really does he really move the needle in terms of the power conversation? I I don't think he necessarily does anymore. He's really more of a brand at this point. Um, but you know, that being said, whenever he's in the news, people tend to read it because he makes a lot of noise. He says interesting things, whether you agree with them or not. And uh, so, you know, that was more just kind of a nod to you know we wanted to pick somebody who people would recognize immediately, but you know, obviously is not. Necessarily a, 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 powerful person in, in the sense that, you know, if going back to the phone call test, would, would Bill de Blasio really pick up Donald Trump's phone call? Probably not, unless it was something, you know, maybe they were doing a real estate deal or something like that. But even so, I, I would imagine there's some, some developers that are higher on, on de Blasio's list of favorites than, than the Donald. So, uh, that's kind of the, you know, pulling back the curtain on why we, we made that selection.
0: Well, there are certainly developers who are higher on this list, which probably is irking him a little bit. Right, right.
1: Quite a few. Uh, most notably, I would say is uh, Bruce Ratner, who came in this year at 43 and gets a 16 spot jump uh, from his from last year's list, where he was at 59. Um, Ratner, you know, I mean, look, Cablasio was kind of a it helps kind of grease the wheels, so to speak, in getting the Atlantic Yards uh, deal done. He has a close relationship with Ratner and, and, you know, was really a facilitator of that in some respects. So, you know, it's safe to say that, you know, with his plan to create 200,000 affordable, affordable housing units that Ratner might play a, a role in that. I mean, for one thing, he still has yet to deliver on his promise. Um, I have Atlantic Yards to build, I believe, two to three thousand units of affordable housing. So, if that factors into the larger plan that, that De Blasio has when it comes to housing, then I, I would say that you know, Ratner will, you know, could even get a bit, quite a bit higher on the list next year.
0: So, See, also ninety nine intrigues me, Ramon Martinez, who's sitting there now. That's certainly a, a name that most people out there don't know. Right. Ramon Martinez is the only person in this list without a picture. How does
1: that happen? Well, that was, uh, I wouldn't say that was necessarily planned. Uh, we Talk try about shadowy. Try pictures for, for every single person on this list. But, um, you know, going back to the kind of shadowy figures uh, on on this list, I would say Ramon Martinez kind of fits that to a T. And it's not even really clear, I should I should throw a word of caution, that Ramon Martinez will, he hasn't been officially announced as having a role in city council. He's been rumored to be, uh, that that Melissa Mark will keep him on as chief of staff. He's a longtime city council staffer. If you talk to anybody really in the council, from you know members to to staffers, they all kind of really you know hail his his experience and his institutional knowledge. Um, and he's he's got he's someone who's got connections to the the county organizations. He's actually Joe Crowley, uh, the Queens congressman's ex. Uh, Ex-brother-in-law and he's, he's just someone who's very, very well connected in city government and definitely not a household name, but somebody that we thought, you know, for, for the real junkies, the real hardcore city government junkies that, you know, that was an important person to, to put on the list somewhere. So we put him at 99 with the caveat that, you know, it wasn't, it's not finalized that he's going to be a member of the staff, but if he is, then, you know, it's fair to say that I think, you know, it's it's fair to include him and in that if 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 he indeed uh you know helps Melissa with her transition into being the speaker that he could, you know, even bump a little bit higher and hope that next year we can get a picture for him.
0: So. We're talking with Nick Powell, City Hall Bureau Chief for City and State, which is a as termed by our guest, an insider publication for the political insiders. So if you want to be an insider, you're looking to be an insider. This is a place where you should go and you should be consuming city and state on a regular basis. Uh, you have a first read in the morning, a last read in the afternoon and a print edition. So there's tons of information about the world of New York City and New York state politics coming from city and state. Uh, Nick, you have Bill de Blasio ahead of Andrew Cuomo. Yes. And I think most people think that when you look at the power balance between a governor and a mayor, you probably have it the other way around, that you feel that the governor is more powerful, probably holds more political cards than does the mayor. Was that uh, was that a clear calculation on your part that uh Bill de Blasio maybe had some election momentum that was going to trump Andrew Cuomo?
1: Yeah, I think that definitely that went into it quite a bit. I mean, look, if if, it, if this was the Albany list, which we'll put out in a couple of months, there's no question that that Andrew Cuomo is 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 number one, as that's you know that's obviously his his turf. But you know, in the city, I mean, look, we put put Bloomberg number one last year. Obviously, it was a little bit different situation. Bloomberg was the you know was a 11 year incumbent, 12 year incumbent at that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, it was partially a nod to the, you know, the, the mandates as, as de Blasio has been fond of, of referring to that he, uh, that he came in with in his, uh, election victory put on. Um, but also, look, I mean, he's, the city, the city is the mayor's, you know, it's, it's the mayor's home turf. It's, it's really, you know, it's the place where he can leave his mark. And, and while Cuomo definitely, you know, can play a role in either, you know, uh, playing in playing the obstructionist or helping facilitate some of the initiatives that the Blasio hopes to push through in his first year. Ultimately, the brainchild of all this, the engine of all this is the mayor. So everything that, everything that the city wants to do this next year and the next four years is going to come out of the mayor's office. He's really going to be the one driving the city's agenda. So it just felt like the right pick to put him at number one. And granted, you know, it's not like that's a, that's a firm, you know, it's not like he gets the number one spot and he's automatically there for the next four years. If, if the universal pre-K initiative falls on its face, if he doesn't get some of the, the help that he wants from Albany and, and, you know, getting the home rule that he wants to raise the minimum wage and then things of that sort, if he has just kind of a, you know, an average first year in there, you could quite, you know, we definitely could see him dropping in favor of Cuomo, um, especially if Cuomo Wins the wins re-election handily as many, many experts think will this year
0: tell us for a second how the how much how many free drinks have you gotten uh, from people looking to move up or get onto this list uh, how much <laughs> lobbying have the lobbyists that are on this list lobbied you or the non lobbyists meaning the uh, politicians out there tried to move up uh, is is this a process that's impervious to uh, to lobbying,
1: to outside influence. I mean, I could I could say personally, I, there was not a single person on this list who lobbied me beforehand. Um, I, I I don't think we really took that that into consideration much at all. Um, you know, I mean, I I think really the most important thing for us was just to have a list that's reflective of, of the shifting power dynamics in the city. We were definitely more cognizant of having a diverse list this year, and part of that was we didn't really have to try because it just seems like you know the the mayor and and with a, a new city council, it just seems like there's a a more of an effort to to usher in a, a more diverse uh, city government. So that, I think that reflects that's reflected on our list. We have a lot more women, we have a lot more people of color on our list. Um, it, it really I, I would say there was very very minimal at you know most. Um, Uh, of outside influence i I don't think i mean i honestly i didn't get a single email or phone call from anybody saying hey i think you know so-and-so should be higher or so-and-so should be lower or or i should be on the list it it really wasn't wasn't like that and i'm glad also i think that would have you know it would have shaped up to be quite a bit different if we were really you know paying attention to to the outside voices there
0: so people didn't really leverage the opportunity i mean you didn't really leverage the opportunity here for all kinds of free gifts and stuff i guess <laughs> that remains- I mean, there are no lobbying rules around this list.
1: No, no, no. I mean, look. I mean, I, I can't, I can't say that. You know, if I'm talking to you know uh, somebody on the power list and I, you know, want maybe in, in an effort to get them to call me back or something like that, I might throw out, hey, we put you, you know, so, at, at you know number in our top ten or our top twenty in our power list. But no, I mean, in all seriousness. I, I, if, if people. If people are happy about the list. That's great. If people are unhappy, that's also great. Really, it's just a way to spark conversation, and you know, as we hope, it's as accurate as possible. But you know, it's just it's just another way to insert ourselves into the you know into the into the political discussion and kind of you know throw out these power rankings and and you know people have fun with them and, and that's really what it's all about.
0: Absolutely. So, just uh, one or two specific questions uh, out there that I think are particularly of interest to the uh, the segmented or the market segment that we this show caters to, and sure. you know names that are probably associated, uh, well known in the Jewish community. But one, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty interested in before uh, the first question I have is with regard to Al D'Amato, who you know, everybody in the in our community, knows well as the mm-hmm. senator who is now a prominent lobbyist. But interestingly enough, you have him at number seventy-one, and on the list. But with the with the tagline that he raised a lot of money for Bill De Blasio. I recall that Al Mato was the largest bundler or fundraiser for Bill Thompson. He was so so. Uh, try to explain that because I think most people in uh, in our community, I mean the, or the Jewish community. Which certainly identify him as a big Bill Thompson supporter. Made a big bet on Bill Thompson. In fact, he went to campaign with Bill Thompson uh, on the, in Crown Heights on the eve of the Democratic primary.
1: Yes, uh, yes, then you're you're absolutely right about that. Al was one of Bill Thompson's biggest fundraisers. Um, it actually wasn't revealed until we ran a piece, uh, I believe, a couple of months ago. Uh, when we looked at some of the, the campaign, the recent campaign finance filings that, that we, we found that, uh, that Al D'Amato was also a, a very big bundler for, for de Blasio, which kind of shows really, <laughs> I mean, look, lobbyists and, and, and uh, people of, of D'Amato's stature, you know, it, it, it behooves them to get on the good, good side of whoever the winner is. So while he obviously made a big bet on, on Phil Thompson in the primary, it's fair to say that once, you know, Thompson out and 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 you know conceded in the in the in the Democratic primary, it's it's look I mean it's not surprising that motto would then kind of you know put his put his finger up in the wind and see which way it's blowing and it was blowing towards the Blasio. So why not shift your resources towards you know the the eventual winner and, and get on his good side before you know look they, I think. Al D'Amato did what a lot of, you know, what a lot of people who, who supported other candidates did, including a lot of the labor unions. You know, you don't want, you don't ever want to make an enemy of the eventual mayor of New York City. It's just not, it's not smart politics. And if you're a lobbying firm that relies on the the city for a lot of business, as Park Strategies, the firm that, uh, D'Amato works for, um, does, then you, you want to have a solid working relationship with the mayor. So, I think that's kind of, that was maybe the impetus for, for, you know, shifting some of their fundraising resources over to him. Um, And that's ultimately why we decided to, you know, give him a a decent spot on the list as opposed to, you know, if he he didn't have any relationship with the mayor at all, he probably would have been a good deal lower on the list or not on the list at all.
0: Very interesting. So I guess you could say that he may not have gotten a great hand uh, after the Democratic primary, but he played the hand that he was dealt very well. Exactly. 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 Okay, so let's talk about the, what has now become a pretty potent rivalry between two, two, uh, politicians centered around the Orthodox Jewish community in southern Brooklyn, one being David Greenfield and the other being Dove Hyken. David Greenfield right. ranked at number 51, new to the list, and Dove Hyken ranked at number 82. Yeah. Uh, and I gotta imagine that you know, last year he was sixty three. Uh I don't necessarily you know, I, I know this is not scientific, but clearly in your eyes he's been dropped down a little bit. And Greenfield yeah. kind of gets right to the middle of the list. And uh I think for to possibly to a lot of people's chagrin out there, certainly I think uh they these two have become uh pretty significant rivals, even though maybe at one point they were allies. Uh and so how would how did you assess they, they come from the same political base. So, how would you assess the relative strength and weakness of these two? And uh, you know, Dov Heiken is still here on the list, so clearly he has a power base, according to uh, your assessment.
1: Well, look, I mean, part of it starts with the fact that you know, just simply by virtue of being a city councilman, David Greenfield has a little bit more power than Dov Heiken as just a, another member of a, an overwhelmingly Democratic. Assembly. Even though Haikens, in I believe in, is in a position of leadership uh, in the assembly, his his voice has become a little bit more marginalized. He's kind of part of the old guard in in, in the you know in the Democratic controlled assembly, uh, and he didn't really have a, a year that where he left a mark in any way. I mean, I believe he threw his weight behind uh, Bill Thompson in the Democratic primary, which obviously was uh, an unsuccessful play. Um, and you know he had the yeah however much you want to make of this incident he had the obviously embarrassing uh, you know incident where he dressed in in, in blackface for for a uh, Jewish holiday so I think that uh, those things went into consideration in terms of dropping hike in nineteen spots. Um, but it really was, it was more I mean speaking to Greenfield, he became you know a pretty a pretty big player this year. Um, he was he's always out there, he's very public in his um, you know in whatever initiatives he's pushing and, and candidates he's backing. He was very vocal during the Brooklyn district attorney race, even though he ultimately ended up. Uh, siding with the eventual loser in that race, Charles Hines. Um, but look, mainly with Greenfield, is he inserted himself in the speaker's race in, the, in a very strategic way. Uh, he, um, he, I guess, from what I understand, helped broker the eventual deal with some of, with getting some of the Brooklyn council members on board with Melissa Mark And in the process, looks like he landed himself the, you know, a pretty nice chairmanship with the Land Use Committee. Um, now, Land Use is an interesting committee chairmanship. It was previously held by Leroy Comrie, the uh, former council member in Queens, who really didn't use that chair to its full power. I mean, he, 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 obviously the, just by virtue of the, of the chair itself, it's incredibly important in, Cutting, you know, any sort of real estate or development deal in, you know, or throughout the city. But comedy was kind of a low profile land use chair. Where uh, I don't think low profile is really a, a word you can use to describe David Greenfield. He's very much, you know, uh, a politician who likes to build up his own brand, whether that be through social media or the various radio shows he does. Um, so I, I think it's just I, I think we really wanted to kind of reflect that, that Greenfield is, you know, he's in the, in the Greenfield hiking rivalry. It looks like Greenfield has a leg up right now. I mean, he's, he's a kind of, uh, he's viewed as a rising star, I suppose, in, in, in democratic, uh, you know, city circles. So, We'll see, and he's got three more terms in the council by virtue of a, uh, you know, the grandfather clause in, in, the, in the third term debate, so he could certainly leave his mark as, as, you know, land use chair and then perhaps in the future, maybe as, as a, as a future speaker candidate. So um, that's really kind of, that, that was kind of the calculus that went into those, those two lines, I would say. Sure,
0: we're talking with Nick Powell, the City Hall Bureau Chief for City and State. We're- Uh, We are talking about the New York City Power 100 list. And just a follow-up question on that. uh, I think a very intriguing analysis of the Greenfield-Heikens rivalry. Uh, Heikens has a penchant for picking winners. I think that uh, even if his candidates don't do well in his own district, like uh, with regard to the Brooklyn DA's race where he backed Ken Thompson over Charles Hines, Charles Hines. Uh, who Greenfield backed, did very, very well in Borough Park and the, the Midwood areas. Uh, but Ken Thompson did not do well, but Ken Thompson ultimately won. And I'm sure Ken Thompson is probably more grateful to Dove Hyken for backing him than he is to David Greenfield. Uh, and the, you know, that's kind of sometimes been the trend that Dove Hyken has a real ability to pick winners. Right. Uh, so I think that's you know, one thing that a lot of people uh, when they notice with regard to his track record it's not always uh, that he is going to de- he delivers a lot in the way of votes but somehow he confers some kind of legitimacy or uh, a or I would say a kosher stamp of approval if you don't mind uh, yes, to sure. candidates
1: No I think that's I think that's very accurate and, and and it should be noted that you know and while while both you know, can be viewed as, as kingmakers or not. I mean, like you, you alluded to, they both, one thing they both do, both Greenfield and Hykend, is they move votes. And the, the Orthodox community is one of the, is one block of voters that consistently votes in, in any election, be it citywide, statewide, or, or federal. That's, that's one block of voters that you can always rely on is going to go to the polls. So it's really, that's where, I, that's even where I think the Hykend Less so than picking a winner all the time, I, I would have to look back at his track record in, in endorsing candidates to see whether you know what what his actual record is there. But you know, I mean, that's I think that's why the power of the Hicken and Greenfield endorsement lies in that, in that they have their respective supporters who they know, you know, that will basically fall in line with whichever candidate they want to pick. So, you know, Bill Thompson did quite well in the Orthodox communities. Is that is that Part in part because he had the hiking endorsement. Maybe, maybe not, but it certainly couldn't have hurt him. Whereas, you know, Greenfield uh, supporting Joe Hines, obviously, was, was you know, even though Hines ended up losing, that was a significant portion of his, you know, his electoral base. So I I, I, I don't think there's any question that both of these guys have the power to, to move votes. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of... What keeps them relevant, even if they're not, you know, moving high profile legislation? I mean, I can't remember the last bill that Dove Hyken sponsored that really made waves, uh, um, you know, made significant waves throughout the city, but, um, you know, he's certainly in the, in the, in the political realm, in the, in the electoral realm, he's definitely still a formidable figure. Absolutely.
0: And what about the third leg, I guess, of the Borough Park representatives, uh, State Senator Simcha Felder. Who, of course, is intriguing from the point of view that he is a Democrat, registered Democrat, not uh, not sitting with the IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference, but actually caucuses with the Republicans and contributes to that majority uh, or majority coalition. Uh, and w- w- how would you why was he left off the list in a sense of given his. Given that ability to – you put a Democratic state senator on there who is from the minority who doesn't have the ability to really – meaning Liz Kruger, who doesn't necessarily have the ability to move legislation, but Simcha Felder might. Is that uh, that because of city list? Uh, Give us some analysis there. You yeah, know, for the that's audience a, who might be interested in that question. A, that's
1: a very fair point. No, and, and actually, Simp now that I'm thinking about it, is one person that maybe when we were talking about, you know, glaring omissions, he might have been one that, you know, if we were to revisit it, that he might actually uh, make it on the list somewhere. But I think the thing the the problem with Felder is he's he's such a behind-the-scenes figure. He's really not a guy that's out front. He's not, you know, he, he doesn't do much to raise his public profile. And not that that, that you know, means... A ton, but that does make something of a difference when we're, when we're trying to formulate this list. You know, no matter, you know, Felder might, might be the one, you know, might be one of the key members in the IDC, you know, pushing legislation or moving legislation through or, or making deals. But, you know, if, if there's no, if there's no public, you know, profile to kind of validate his, his, you know, involvement or stature in the IDC, it's kind of hard to judge as, as, you know, as members of the media how powerful this guy is. Um and really you know, when you you know, part of it is just you when you think of the Orthodox power broke Orthodox Jewish power brokers, you think Greenfield and Haiken and still Felder is kind of third on that list and it's not necessarily because, you know, he's less powerful than them, but it's more it's really just because he's less visible, he's not out there, you know, and maybe to his credit, because maybe that's just not how he operates in, in government. But you know, that's I guess that you know, in just trying to shed some light on maybe our our thinking and not including him on the list, I would say that definitely played a role. Um, whereas Liz, somebody like Liz Kruger, while um, you know she's not necessarily in a position of leadership, she clearly she was one of the early De Blasio supporters. She clearly has you know the respect of of the mayor and, and people in city government. She's a long time progressive voice in government. Um, so I think that's kind of where. Where we settled there, we, we kind of figured that maybe Kruger um, has something of a future, maybe not in the state government, but maybe in the city as as a really
0: powerful, you know, liberal lefty voice. So interesting. So I guess a lot of this has to do with their degrees of influence with the new city administration. And I, I have to say that that is a very interesting way to score it. If we we're coming up with a a scoring sheet, uh, if. If the mayor being the epicenter of power and you're looking at that, the degrees of removal from that mayor, uh, I, I certainly understand that analysis. I, I think that that's very interesting. And right. I guess that leads me to the, my final question with regard to the list. Uh, and we're talking with Nick Powell, City Hall Bureau Chief of City and State here on Spin Class. We're sponsored by Beckerman Communications, Beckerman Public Relations, BeckermanPR.com and my last question is with regard to number three on the list, who is clearly a, a potentate when it comes to uh, to politics and all things political pretty much everywhere, uh, is Chuck Schumer. Uh, yeah. He is here on the New York City list as uh, one of the more influential people. And what does that say, I guess, with regard to the fact that the other senator is not there, uh, at least maybe – it's possible I missed her, but I don't think so. Uh, but Chuck Schumer is number three. Uh, he does he is he a guy who's playing in that city, New York City sandbox?
1: Well, look, I mean, I think the part of the calculus in putting Schumer in the top three was we wanted to have really the most. You know, with with De Blasio, Cuomo, and Schumer, we wanted to have the most powerful people on the city, state, and federal level that that really affects government and politics in New York City. And, and Schumer, unquestionably on the federal level, is that guy. I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand has done a lot to to raise her profile in the last year. She's really become a formidable legislator and, and has gotten some some publicity for, for, you know, some of the things, some of the initiatives that she's pushing and is mentioned as maybe a future, you know, presidential candidate down the road. So she's clearly done a lot to raise the profile, but Schumer is still Schumer. He's the he's the senior senator. He's the number three Democrat in the Senate. He's obviously got aspirations to you know to to be in that leadership leadership position if Harry Reid were to step down in the future. Um, so you know I think and and look it, it, as much as he wants to insert himself in the in the New York City sandbox as you put it, you know he can. I mean if he well, going you know going to the very imperfect phone call test, he's somebody who unquestionably. Both Cuomo and De Blasio would pick up would pick up his phone calls on, on any number of you know of topics. So I think I, I think Schumer is really just somebody you know it, it was it was it was a debate on how we were going to structure this top five. But when we we had put Christine Quinn at number three last year with kind of the you know projecting maybe her her eventual trajectory towards the, the mayor's office, which obviously didn't happen. Um, and we, we just could, we didn't feel that, uh, you know, putting Melissa Mark Viverito at, at number three over Schumer would necessarily be an accurate, uh, portrayal of the power dynamics. I mean, look, Melissa's obviously in a powerful position. She can certainly make her, put her own stamp on the city council and on, on, you know, moving legislation in the city. But, you know, if you were to ask any average New Yorker on the street who's more powerful, Melissa Mark Viverito or Chuck Schumer, I don't think you would get much of a debate there. So that, I mean, that was kind of, you know, some of the the reasoning that went into Schumer's being the you know being number three on that list.
0: So Nick, as we wind down this uh, segment, and I appreciate your time. This has been a really fascinating tour through the Power 100 and the like. Just to focus uh, a little bit on City and State itself, uh, which sure. is, as you alluded to, really an insider type of publication that really goes ahead and explains politics. That's a little bit what we try and do on this show. To the uninitiated, uh, or people who are trying to get themselves initiated, talk for a second about the stuff that City and State is covering that isn't being covered by we. We got a lot of newspapers out there: the News, the Post, the Times. I mean, there's no shortage of outlets out there, the blogs. But what is City and State covering uh, on a on a consistent basis that the other publications aren't doing? How do you How do you find your niche?
1: So really, the, I mean, it's it's. I think it's been kind of an ongoing progression trying to find where we fit in the you know in the in the news cycle of, of city and state politics but i think we're we're really starting to hit our stride and in, in the last year or so especially uh we've kind of we, we've, we've gone through a lot of changes we've added new elements to our to our news coverage such as the you know we do these city and state tv interviews that are on camera interviews with public officials and lobbyists and real estate people and business people. Um, and, and that's really kind of expanded our, our game a little bit as well as the first read and last read emails, which continue to be, you know, huge, um, you know, huge markers of our, you know, of our brand basically. And, uh, but really I think uh, from a, from a content perspective, you know, I think where we really want to fill, fill the niche in, in news coverage is by bringing, you know, Kind of very in-depth analytical coverage to you know to the, the the key key changes and key you know policy items in in city and state government. I mean, look, we're not we in sheer you know manpower, we're not going to compete with with the dailies and, and, and you know the the papers that may have a little bit more name recognition recognition. We just simply don't have the you know the the feet on the ground to really, uh, you know, to really do that kind of coverage. But, you know, if we can add to the conversation by, you know, bringing new angles to the table, uh, really doing the, the kind of in-depth, long-form journalism that has slowly, you know, kind of died off, um, unfortunately, in, in New York City and New York State, um, I think that's where we can really fill that void. And the magazine has, has always kind of filled that role uh, during the election season, we, you know, did uh, several um, big investigative pieces, not only in, in New York City and the citywide races, but, you know, I, we also dipped our toes out in in, uh, in the waters out in Nassau County and the county executive races, um, and as well as all, obviously also keeping um, tabs on the various industries that are kind of peripheral to city and state governments, such as organized labor and, and gaming and um, energy and things of that sort. So, we really try to be as broad with our coverage as possible. We have the different spotlights, every issue that covers, you know, different, different sectors and different, um, you know, different issues in, 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 government. So, um, look, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process where, you know, we're still trying to really perfect our brand, but I think we're, we've done some really, really good stuff and we've got a great team now. Um, and, you know, it's the sky's the limit. I really think with the, the print magazine and the, uh, you know, the video coverage, and and we're going to be debuting a, a new website at some point soon. So that should definitely, you know, change our game even more. Um, but as things are really, you know, things are really looking up for us tonight, I think people should definitely, you know, check us out, um, either in print or on the web.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Nick Powell, uh, City Hall Bureau Chief for City and State. And uh, check out City and State, cityandstate.com. And if you want to find the Power 100 uh, I think that is on the issue website, issuu.com, and you can find the full ranking list there, although it's been written about in quite a few areas and certainly out there on Twitter. So it's no question a lot of buzz around this Power 100, and I guess we look forward to the Albany Power 100 coming up soon. When is that, Nick?
1: Uh, it should be around April or May. I don't, I, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, uh, but, uh, so but post-budget, within, post-budget we know the where of the who the winners and losers are.
0: Uh, Nick, did we lose you?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. what, what
0: was that? Oh, I was saying post budget, we will know who the winners and losers are in the New York State budget, and uh, we will also know about pre-K at that point. So
1: yes, exactly. So you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know who's who's on the list this year, who wasn't on last year, who maybe drops a few this year, who drops a few from last year. You know, will where will Bill De Blasio fall on that list? Where will you know will will people like? Uh, Andrew Cuomo where you remain in that number one spot, will Shelly Silver drop a little bit. But, you know those are things to, to look for uh, you know as, as, as we get towards making that uh, formulating that final power 100 list for all of me.
0: Okay, looking forward to it. Nick, thanks for joining us here on Spin class and we will speak to you hopefully in the very near future.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me, Michael.
0: Yeah, great. This is Spin class and we're sponsored by Beckerman, Beckerman PR, Beckerman Public Relations Public Affairs. Uh, if you want to tell your story, tell it with Beckerman. And I want to change gears for a second, and we're going to welcome to the show for the first time Shai Markowitz, who is the director of the Lefkowitz Leadership Initiative at Agudat Israel of America. And we've had other guests from the Aguda over the time, but uh, this is Shai's first appearance here on Spin Class. Shai, welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure and honor to be here.
0: So, Shai. Uh, This appropriate time is next week you're going to be leading a mission to Albany. That's the state capital, as we as we well know. And you're going to be bringing a group of activists and I guess younger activists, given the fact, uh, given the Lefkowitz Leadership Initiative. So why don't we just uh, for the audience's sake, before we delve in any further, get an idea. What is the Lefkowitz Leadership Initiative or the LLI and what is the a good uh, mission to Albany all about.
2: Well, thank you very much. And the truth is, getting back to, before we get to the Albany mission, which is going to be on February 26th, the truth is that the LI's goal, the left with leadership focus, is to make sure that, I would say, that there's a younger voice within the organization. On all fronts, on anything that the organization is doing or anything that the organization can do for the Jewish people, we'd like to be there, but it's only going to happen if there's a voice. And um, really, my office is that opportunity both to service the community but also to have an opportunity for the voice people to come in and call and say this is an issue i'm having this is a challenge that we're having how can we deal with it
0: so tell us how you will get people involved how do you get the young people who have a lot of time commitments a lot of time constraints they they probably have kids they're they're just starting out in business they got a lot on their plate how do you get them involved in activism
2: well you know that's really the the hard question over here the the focus ends up becoming, that I, I, we try doing it. I think, in two different ways. One is as an organization. The more I'm able to get the organization to focus on the next generation of Klyosol of across the country, really, then I think people become part of the organization. And then, then the cream of the crap rise to the top. And they say, hey, look, I want to do things for Klyosol. I want to do things for the Jewish people. And that's how we're able to put together a mission to Albany now, um, you know, that we're really basically running out of room and it's already had, I think, maybe 45, 50 people. Last year we were only able to take, I think, 30. So we're gonna have to do some logistics over here. But it's because people feel that there's a need, or they want to represent and help the cloud. They, you know, there's so many people that want to be, think outside of who they are, and they don't think about within. Like, what's in it for me? They're thinking about how can I help the, the greater community. And there's <clears throat> you'd be surprised how many people really want to do. And a, a mission to Albany. Even though, honestly, I'm not Mr. Politics, but there, I understand. And the more I see from behind closed doors of what's happening here, what it does to help, people see that also. And they want to get involved. They say, I want to be part of that group. I want to help out as much as I can in any which way possible.
0: I guess the word we use is topless, right? This is a topless-oriented type of oh. event. I, get, I, I think my, it kind of leads to my next question was, how do you get people to take a day off from work? to go up to Albany. It's cold. It's not the most attractive place, although the Capitol is a very, very nice building. And if you haven't been there, I definitely recommend it during the spring and the summer. But uh if you haven't if to get people to go ahead and leave their jobs and take off a day from work to go up to Albany, they have to feel that there's something real, there's something topless oriented
2: about it. Um, well the truth is it's very topless. And just spending a day with me I think that's worth everything. But um, no question. <laughs> but in all honesty, I think people feel when you look at the agenda items that we have and how real it is and relevant to people, people understand that, look, wow, I'm going to represent, I'm going to do something, perhaps I'll have a chance to even express my thoughts on why, um, whether mandated services and school funding is important or whether even this new scholarship tax credit can can really change um, the funding and um, and perhaps help our tuition. And, you know, that's schooling, but even the agenda items that we have that we focus on is not just school based. We also focus on placement and um and employment opportunities which, you know, coming out of a yeshiva or coming out of uh, of certain lifestyles, it's very hard to get into the workplace, so there's training and there's job placement which helps hundreds of people, if not thousands, every year. And um something which everyone I talk to and they're always so surprised to hear about this is the infertility fund funding. Uh America has been able to Bring in over 90 million dollars over the past 10 years for infertility. And I think most of us can have, know someone, whether it's someone in Shul, whether it's someone, a neighbor down the block or a cousin who has had issues or and has, could have used the help in infertility. So this is really focused on being as relevant and as taqlis oriented for the people who come and for the greater community. It's not just, you know, those 45, 50 people who come. They represent the hundreds of thousands of school kids and uh, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, even of Jewish parents across the state.
0: How? What kind of training do you offer for the people who are going? What, how did they, How does a person say, okay, you know, look, I, I I can't go. I don't know too much about it. I don't really know what to say. I don't know how to approach a legislator. How do you empower those younger people to to really have their voice or to make their voice heard? I mean, is that is that part of the leadership initiative? I imagine you know, getting people active means also educating them about what it be, needs to, what it entails to become a lobbyist.
2: Yeah, so the truth is that in the past, a lot of the missions they've done, whether it was Washington or even Albany, have been focused on just bringing a, a large number of people who represent the cross-spectrum of Judaism, of Yiddishkeit, to just be the face. Um, what I'm trying to push and what we've been doing is to set up, in addition to just being the face when we have meetings, but also to set up special meetings with different legislatures across, um, across party lines, let's say, and have an opportunity to discuss on a one-on-one basis what um, the, the agenda items mean to me and how it could be helpful. And the real way we do that, this new step of saying let's create, really let's empower guys and have a, so that they can, can create relationships, is by giving them the background. We talk to them and we we, we send them um, a list, a ten-page or fifteen-page list of all the background to all the agenda items, different people on how they're voting and what their thoughts are. And if people just read up, and you don't have to be a professional, people have to just be real, that this is something I care about. I'm not coming just for the good food. I'm not coming just for the pictures. I really care about the and I care about doing something, and it comes off naturally. It's not uh, the hardest thing to approach, because we set up the meetings. We go in there, four or five guys, perhaps, we'll sit with the legislature, we'll sit with someone, and we'll discuss, oh, t- now we're going to talk about the tax credit, which can be $300 million for schools. Now we're going to talk about infertility funding, and you bring in the right person, and... We prep them as much as possible in this specific, you know, in the agenda items that we have. So
0: there's real money at stake. There is real consequences. And I, th- I think that what you're trying to say is that if people don't take a role in this, uh, it's, it, you know, unfortunately might not happen. And I think that as we've seen over the years that when people are engaged and people get active, it's more likely that things can be accomplished and things can get done.
2: Oh, for sure. It's so important And not even people, some people can't come to Albany, like you said, they can't take off the day, they can't spend the time, they can't even get, you know, they don't like the drive, the four hour drive, which is understandable, but there's ways to be, um, engaged, even locally, which is reaching out to your, your legislature, reaching out to your, the person in charge of your community, and making sure that they understand that there is a voice, there's someone there. It's not just this trip to Albany. This trip to Albany is one part of a major puzzle that happens. It might be the bigger event that they do on a, on, a, on, a bigger, on the big picture, but step-by-step step in every community, we all have opportunities to make relationships. It's not always um, only money-focused in terms of we have to give a donation. A lot of times they just want to see and hear from the people about what's happening, what's the, what, what are the needs, what's happening on the ground. And we can do that locally. There's so many opportunities day in, day out, whenever there's a problem, to reach out You know, and not only call to complain, but you call to, to give shak to say thank you very much for helping us, You know, the tax credit, I remember last year I was talking to one of the legislators. He said that after one of the bills failed last year, he got emails thanking him for trying. And that was very powerful. Even though the bill failed, he felt empowered by his community by saying, look, I'm working for you. Yes, it didn't work out this time, but the community knows that you're there for us. And that itself is something powerful. Sending a thank you email or a a handwritten letter is so powerful and and so meaningful.
0: Amazing. How do you get people, what is it, just uh, on the political side? Or are there other opportunities for engagement for, for the young people? W- what is it that comprises the Lefkowitz Leadership Initiative? Is it an ongoing type of program?
2: So the, really, the, the Lefkowitz Leadership Initiative is not just government-focused. It's really, I would call it, a younger division or a younger organization of our to of America, because the, the idea is to get young guys involved in everything that's happening here. Whether it's going to be when we co- say
0: young, uh, is that under forty, under thirty-five, under thirty?
2: I would say that you know we, we don't card anybody when they come in, but it's about under forty-five. You know, and, and that's why we even took the word young out of the leadership initiative title, so that we uh, don't phew, get I, I'm
0: glad I could still qualify. Thanks. Nice.
2: <laughs> well, I carded you before, so I knew that. <laughs> but we have to make sure that you know. I, I think that there's that voice for everyone, and it's not just in the political arena. The political arena might, might be the most um, financially. Um, play, a place to get involved because it brings in the most money to the Jewish people, but whether it's Torah projects or whether it's the youth division of the organization or even in the constituent services um, there's so many opportunities that we have to make sure that there's a focus and a, and a and thought given to what, is the, what are the needs of the next generation of Kalonisol and um, we have the youth division we have a, a bunch of great guys who started taking that over and Started getting involved in producing a Pirche weekly, and are producing events that are going to be focused on inspiring the younger, even the younger generation, which is let's say the preteens or teenagers of Kli And then there's the Torah division. You know, the the gotta start
0: gotta start early. How does one find out about the LLI?
2: The real way at this point is always just to be in touch with me. Um, My email address is the simplest way to reach me. Is S Markowitz S M A R. K-O-W-I-T-Z, at agudathisrael.org, agudathisrae Um At this point, that's the best way to be in touch with me. Again, you know, I'll email back, give a phone number. I'll be able to have a, put them on the list of all the updates of what we're doing on a consistent basis locally. As you know, recently we had a Shabbos in the five towns. We did an event in Queens in Brooklyn running today and for the past few weeks. And another week is going to be... Um, a series of teleconference calls during the day to give inspiration, whether it's on business ethics or whether it's going to be on parenting or marriage or even what's happening in Klyosol across the world in Arizona. These are things that we're trying to do in new innovative ways to reach out and service Klyosol.
0: Okay, and if somebody wants to come to Albany with you on the 26th,
2: the best idea is to email me again and, and email okay, me as good send the same email back
0: yes. back to the same place. So if you want to get involved out there, and I highly suggest that you should, uh, you know, find your vehicle, find the find the place that best suits you. But certainly, uh, working if you are on the younger side, working with the young people, working with Robin Markowitz is certainly a Great avenue, uh, and, uh, certainly a great group of people who want to make a difference for Claudius Roll. Thank you, Robin Markwitz, for joining us here on Spin Class.
2: Thank you very much. It was an honor and a pleasure. Have a great one. Uh,
0: okay, and I hope it's not too cold and doesn't snow, uh, when I hope to, and I hope to join you next week.
2: Great. It'll be great to have you along. Thank
0: you. Okay, this is Spin Class and wrapping up another Thursday evening here on the stream, not from Siegel.com, JMM.org, and I just want to give a quick commentary. Something that just shocked the conscience out there. We have a guy out there, we talked about the the scandals out in Albany and the scandals here in New York City and state politics, but Vince DeBone, who was a vice chair of the Queen's Republican Party, has petitioned the court to have his trial date pushed back. He doesn't want to have it too soon. It, it was trial date was set for June. He doesn't want to have it there because he feels that questioning of Republican Party officials will reveal campaign secrets. And he doesn't think that that's appropriate as if somehow the fact that he is accused of selling offices and selling primary or party designations uh, would itself doesn't compromise the political process. So I got to tell you, Vince DeBone, very creative, uh, but I, that excuse in my mind just isn't going to fly and really just flies in the face of what the public should expect of the political system out there. So uh, hopefully – he comes to his senses and kind of withdraws this, this kind of nonsensical type of objection, uh, that he doesn't want people to testify. It might reveal party secrets as if, you know, bribery is part of the, one of those party secrets. So, uh, shame on you once again, uh, Vince Tabone. Uh, this is Spin Class and wrapping up another Thursday night. Thanks for joining us. As always, sponsored by Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com. ZKQ the music.